Well, thank you for joining us, those who are watching online. Uh, I just heard this week, for those of you that are here as well as those that are watching online, I heard this week about someone who is watching us every week from Georgia. Uh, I don't know that person, but they're tuning in, and so whoever you are, thank you for doing that. And if you're watching from some other state, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know that, that you have tuned in as well. But thank you for everyone for being here tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to open our Bibles to what is probably the best-known passage in the book of Malachi. We, we've been studying, of course, the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. If you want to go ahead and open to the last book of the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at what is probably the best-known passage in this book. And it also may very well be one of the misused passages, the most misused passages in the entire Bible. Let me say that again. What we're going to be looking at tonight might be one of the most misused passages in the entire Bible. And so today we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 3. And here is our subject. Look at the TV. Here's our subject. Robbing God. Which means that this is a lesson on, it starts with a T and some people consider it a bad word. What is it? Tithing, of course. Now, those who are watching online... They have an advantage over the rest of you tonight. Because those who are watching online can turn me off. And you can't. You could get up and leave. I hope that you won't. But before you turn me off or before you tune me out, let me tell you a story. A few of you have heard me tell this story before, but most of you have not. Uh, But it is a, a personal story that I want to share with you. The way I first learned about the importance of tithing was not from Malachi 3. In fact, the way that I first learned about tithing was not from the Bible at all. The way that I learned about the importance of tithing was from my parents and specifically from a story that they told me when I was a young boy. And they actually told me this story more than once. Um, Years and years ago, long before mom and dad had any children, they were a young married couple just starting their family and they were also new Christians. Mom and dad didn't come to faith in Christ until after they were married. They had not been raised in a Christian home like I had the privilege of being. Uh, They were not raised in that kind of environment. So they came to faith in Christ after they were married. New married couple just trying to live for the Lord, trying to learn how to live for God. And one of the things they learned about was the, the principle of tithing. But one month, they found themselves struggling financially just to pay the bills. And it came down to this. They had enough money either to make the house payment or to tithe. Now, these are new Christians, and they're, they're reading their Bible, and they're looking at their bills, and they're trying to figure out how do we handle this. We've got enough money to either pay the bills or to make the house payment or to tithe. And so they didn't know what they should do, and they prayed about it, and they talked about it, and they decided that they should honor the Lord and tithe in faith and obedience. And they did. They tithed that Sunday, but they also didn't have money for the house payment. Now, here's what's ha- what happened after that. Though they had no idea how they were going to make the house payment, uh, God knew how they were going to. You see, Dad had an old utility trailer, a homemade utility trailer, behind our house. Uh, and it was just sitting there. He rarely ever used it. And later that week, somebody knocked on their door. There was a man that dad had never met. He said, I was just driving by your house and I noticed the utility trailer behind your house. Now, first of all, how did he notice the utility trailer behind the house? But he did. 
He said, I noticed that utility trailer behind the house, and I, and I was wondering if you would sell it. I still remember the smile on my dad's face when he told me that story. And he looked, up, looked at me and he said, Son, we sold it for enough money to make our house payment. He had a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye. We sold it for enough money to make the house payment. And then he said these words. He said, Keith, your mom and I learned that when you honor the Lord and put Him first, He will honor you and meet your needs. I don't know how, I was, how old I was when he first told me that story. But I've never forgotten it. Tithing has never been a question in my life. Don't take this the wrong way, but it's not because of what I read in the Bible, but because of what I saw in my mom and dad's life. I saw through their life and through their experience the faithfulness of God. And I didn't see it just once. But I saw it over and over and over. So long before I went off to college to learn how to be a preacher, long before I went off to seminary to learn doctrine in the Bible, I learned tithing from a man who had a first-hand knowledge of the faithfulness of God. Now, I want to put you at ease with two statements. Hopefully so that those of you who are online won't turn me off. Let me put you at ease with two statements. First one. First statement is this, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm not going to ask you to do something tonight. I'm not going to ask you to send in anything. I'm not going to say if you'll plant your seed in this ministry, God will bless you, just send me your money. I don't, I'm not ever going to say that. So I'm not trying to get something from you. Number two, my only agenda is to teach you the book of Malachi and to hopefully help you understand the faithfulness of God. You see, I don't even want you to understand tithing, though I do want you to understand tithing, but that's not my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is bigger than that. My ultimate goal is I want you to be convinced of the faithfulness of God. Now that leads me right into Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. Would you take God's word and look at that text with me? Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says this, I the Lord do not change. Look at these words up here. I the Lord do not change. The good thing about that verse is that we don't have to wonder what it means. You don't have to have a seminary degree to understand what that verse means. You don't have to look up in a commentary and wonder what that verse means. By the way, God is the only one that that could be said about. If you want to know if I have changed, just go look at the picture where I first became your pastor 24, almost 25 years ago, and you'll see how much I've changed. When you, if you were to look at that picture, and by the way, I, I literally have it hidden, and I'm the only one who knows where it is. Not even my wife knows where it is. But if you were to, if you were to look at that picture, you would see this guy who was skinny, and this guy who was young, and this guy who had big glasses, and this guy had a lot of hair. Have I changed? Absolutely. We all do. We were watching our grandson. Uh, he, he went to Charleston this past weekend with his mom and dad, and, and they came back, and Monday morning, uh, or no, Tuesday morning, uh, my wife watches him. I always get to see him before I come to work. So Tuesday morning, about 7.45, he rolls up. We haven't seen him in four days or so, and he gets out of the car, and, and we both said, he's changed. He's grown so much, you know. 
just in those four days. We all do. We all change. People change, but God doesn't. God doesn't. I, the Lord, do not change. Now, the theological term for this is immutability. Immutability. That means the unchangeableness of God. It's kind of a a big word, but it simply means the unchangeableness of God, or that God does not change. And, And I would say to you tonight, as we kind of set the stage for this entire text, you need to understand that God can't change in three key areas. The thing that makes, one of the things that makes him God is that he doesn't need to change. He can't get better than he already is. And he won't get worse than he already is. If God were to change, then that means something about him would either improve or get worse. But God being who he is doesn't need to change. And in fact, God can't change in three key areas. First of all, God is unchanging in his being. If he were to change, he would he would not become God or not be God anymore. There would never be a change in God because there's no change necessary. I hope that makes sense to you. There will never be a change in God because there's no change necessary. God is unchanging in His being. Number two, He's unchanging in His purposes. Purposes of God that He has declared will not change. What He said in in the Old Testament carries through to the New Testament because He is a God whose purposes never change. Now, sometimes our purposes and our plans change, but God's purposes and God's plans never change because He is perfect in knowledge and perfect in His being. And God is unchanging in His promises. Promises that He makes are promises He will keep and because He does not change. The promises He made to Abraham, He kept them. The promises he, he has made to Israel, He will keep them. The promises He has made to His church, He will keep them. He is an unchanging God. Now, here's the question though. Why is the unchangeableness of God mentioned at the beginning of a discussion about finances? Why is this important to a discussion about finances? I think the reason is this. The thing that will compete with your heart for God more than anything else is your money. And the only way that you're going to come to grips with this is to believe that God can be trusted at all times with all things. Malachi begins this section by emphasizing God's ability to be reliable and God's ability to be consistent. God can be trusted even with your finances. And so, though he is about to talk to us about tithing, he begins that conversation by talking to us about the faithfulness, the constantness, the unchangeableness of God. Now, read verse 6 with me again. We didn't read the whole verse. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, old descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. It's interesting there that he refers to the descendants of Jacob. Most of the time, when God's people are referred to in the Old Testament, they are referred to as the children of Israel. It's interesting here that he doesn't refer to them as the children of Israel. He refers to them as the children of Jacob. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, you know that Jacob was a trickster. He was a deceiver. He was always trying to take something from someone. He was always trying to advance his agenda. He was always trying to get an angle. He was always trying to get something from somebody. And later, God changed his life and changed his name to Israel. 
And that's why God often referred to his descendants as the children of Israel. But here, God doesn't refer to them as the children of Israel. Here, God refers to them as the descendants of Jacob. In other words, they were living like the old man instead of the new one. They were living like the man who was always about his agenda rather than God's agenda. They were living like the man who was always trying to finagle something or take something from somebody. They were living like the old Jacob rather than the new Israel. Now, sometimes commentators overlook this part of the text. Malachi set tithing in the larger context of repentance. The people of God were withholding their tithe, and that was simply a a symptom of a far serious problem. That's why he uses this name, Jacob. It's the first hint in the text that something is wrong. The first hint in the text that something needs to be addressed. That there is a serious problem here. And the problem was this, the people of God were not willing to repent and turn to God. The people of God were more about their agenda than they were God's agenda. And that's why he refers to them as the descendants of Jacob. Because Jacob was always about his agenda. And Malachi says, that's the way you're living. You are the people of God, but you're not living like the people of Israel. You're living like the people of Jacob. You're about your agenda. And so we pick up the text, verses 7 and 8. Here's what he says. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? He gives an interesting answer in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Now, I want you to read this text with me very carefully. I want to walk through it with you. Look at verse 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have... What's that next phrase? You have done what? Turned away. You, watch this, you have turned away. And because you have turned away, then God says later in that verse, return to me and I will return to you. Can I say to you that if you feel that there is a distance between you and God, you are the one who put it there, right? God hasn't turned away from you. You've turned away from Him. Does that make sense? He says to the people, you turned away from me, now you need to return to me. So if you feel like there's a distance between you and God, guess who put it there? I know this is an old story, an old illustration. Most of you have heard it, but laugh anyway because it will make me feel better, okay? Do you remember, do you remember uh, back years ago, in, in most of the cars, they had what was called a bench seat? You know what I'm talking about by a bench seat? My first car, well, it wasn't my first car, but the first car I dated Lisa in, that's what I'll say. The first car I, had, I dated Lisa in was a, a Dodge Duster. I think it was a 72 Dodge, no, 78 Dodge Duster, I believe it was. Anyway, had a bench seat. And after we got to know each other a little bit, guess where she sat? Huh? Where? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, 
I mean, that was the, that was the, the benefit of having a bench seat, you know. You, now we've got bucket seats, and guess where she sits now? Way over there, you know. But here's the story. You've heard this before, I'm sure, some of you. But anyway, it was, this, this man and woman, they, they had a, a vehicle, had the bench seat, and, and one day they were riding down the road, and she's way over there near the door, and he's driving, and, and she says, you know, we used to sit close to one another. What's happened? And he was driving, and he looked over and said, I ain't the one that moved. <laughs> right? I ain't the one that moved. God is saying that to his people. God is saying, I'm not the one that moved. So return to me. You're the one that moved. So if there's distance between you and God, God's not the one that moved. God hasn't left us. Sometimes we, though, leave him. That's why he said, return to me, and I will return to you. I once heard someone say that, now listen carefully, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to tell you, but I once heard someone say that they had never met a former tither. They said once that someone saw that God could be trusted and once they experienced the blessings of obeying God, once they realized that God does provide for our needs and more, once they started stopping, they never stopped. And this preacher said, I've never seen a former tither. And when I first heard that, I thought, man, that's good. And at first I agreed with it. But then I read Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3, this passage seems to be addressed to former tithers. They were so spiritually detached from God, so, watch this, they were so distant from God that they actually were keeping the things that belonged to God. Now apparently there was a time when they were doing what they ought to do according to the law. Apparently there was a time they were presenting their tithes and their offerings according to the law, but they had stopped doing what God had clearly commanded let me just read the text with you and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Then we'll dig into it. In the middle of verse 7, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Question mark. Verse 8, Will a man rob God? Question mark. Yet you rob me. Which is kind of strange to, for God to say, you're robbing me. It's like, how in the world is that even possible? And then he answers that question. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Now let me deal with those two terms. First of all, the word tithe, uh, it means simply a tenth, 10%. But it wasn't just a 10% in the Old Testament days. It wasn't just a 10% or a tenth of your money, though it did include that. It was a tenth of everything. Let me show you this in Scripture. Put your finger there in Malachi. Go over towards the front of the Old Testament and find the book of Leviticus. It's not the first book, but go over about three to the, I think it's about the third book. Leviticus 27. Leviticus chapter 27. The last chapter of Leviticus. It's interesting how this book ends. The last chapter in Leviticus, the last verses of the book, talk about this tenth that everyone is to bring. And here's what it says. Leviticus 27, verse 30. A tithe, which means a tenth, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, 
belongs to who? To the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And that word holy there means set apart. It's set apart. It's designated as God's. Now that's important. That's why God said through Malachi in Malachi 3, you're robbing me, you're robbing God. Why could they say that you're robbing God? Because a tenth is set apart as holy to the Lord. It is, it is God's. And so let's keep reading. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock. See, it's not just your produce, but your animals as well. The entire tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. You must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. These are the, not, not just tithing, but the whole book of Leviticus. But it included tithing. These are the commands that God gave the people of God through Moses at Mount Sinai. He says, I want you to bring a tithe, a tenth of your produce, your, your flock, and in another passage he says, and your money. Now, let me tell you how all this worked. There were special storage rooms in the temple for keeping the grain and the produce and the money that the people would bring to the Lord. You can imagine, that, that was a big haul, if you, if you will. If everyone from all over Israel, are, they're bringing a tithe of their produce, they're bringing a tithe of their animals, they're bringing a tithe of their money, uh, they brought it to the Lord in obedience to His, to his law. Where, what do you do with all of that? Well, there were storage rooms in the temple area for keeping the grain and the produce and the money. Uh, separate area for the animals, but, but that's, there were actually storage rooms in the temple area for, the, for that very purpose. Now, you may not realize this, but this was an annual tithe. So when it talks about bringing your tithes to the storehouse, it's talking about this annual obligation under God's law to bring a tenth of your money, your produce, and your animals to the temple. And that was the way that the ministry at the temple occurred. That was the way the priests were supported that was your annual tithe, and, you, and God used that to support the work and the ministry of, at the temple. Then there's another word here, and that is the word offerings. Now, offerings are extra gifts given to spe, at, for specific times and purposes. Um, so offerings are those things that you would bring in addition to your tithe to meet special needs or for special purposes, and so that your tithes and offerings. So, with that as a background... Let's pick up the text one more time. Verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes, that tenth, you're supposed to bring every once a year, and offerings. <clears throat> and then he says, verse 9, you are under a curse. The whole nation of you. This is not just a few families. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. God emphasizes a second time that when you're not giving your tithe, you're actually robbing God. Which, I want to give you three lessons and we'll work our way through this text here real quickly. Here's the first lesson. Number one is this. There we go. Refusing to use what God has given you for God's agenda is robbing Him of what He has entrusted to you. You see, the bottom line in this whole issue is this. Whose money is it really? 
Whose money is it? Really? I mean, that's, that's the whole issue. That's the bottom line. And I think a lot of Christians, if we're honest, they struggle with that question. Because, can we be honest? Your name is on the checkbook. Your name is on the debit card. Your name is on the bank account. Your hard work earned that money. So it's natural for you to think, this is my money. And most people would agree with you. Except God. I will show you something in Scripture. Again, put your finger in Malachi. Let's go to, towards the front of the, New, of the Old Testament again. And this time, find Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Beginning in verse 10. If you're taking notes, it's verses 10 through 18. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land. Watch this. He has given you. Keep reading. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and, and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your father's uh, had never known to humble and test you so that in the end you might, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, watch this, my power, the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant with which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Whose money is it really? Well, the Bible's perspective seems to be that we need to remember that everything that we have ultimately comes from God's good hand. You wouldn't be alive if it were not to God, for God. You wouldn't be breathing if it were not for God. Who gave you the abilities that you say, well, I went to school, I learned that. Who gave you that opportunity? Who gave you the, the breath that's in your lungs right now? So really, everything that I have belongs to God and I only get to use it for a while. Can I say that's true for all of you? Whatever you have, you only get to use it for a while, don't you? You might use it for 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Or, or like Miriam's mom, 100 years. But you only get to use it for a while. And so God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the first 10% and give it back to me. It's your way of saying, God, I recognize you gave it all to me. The tithe belongs to God. The tithe is our way of saying, I recognize it's really yours. And so I'm giving you a part of it back because I really believe it came from your hand. So, number one, <clears throat> refusing to use what God has given you for God's agenda is robbing Him of what He has entrusted to you. Here's the problem. 
Too often we want to do our agenda. What's on our agenda? And he says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who gave you the money to do it anyway? Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the health? Who gave you the strength? And so God says, here's my agenda. Give me 10% and don't rob me of what I've given you. Lesson number two is this. Tithing teaches you to put God first in your life. There are few areas where you can actually see that God is first in your life. It's really hard to actually look at your life and see that God is first in your life. But this is one of those areas where you can look and see if God is first in your life. This is one of those areas where you look at your checkbook and you can see. You look at your bank statement. You can see if God is first in your life. And can I say to you, it takes faith to do this. It takes faith to put God first. Tithing is an act that demonstrates priority. It's, God, I want you to be first in my life, and to prove it, I'm going to put you first in my money. But I really believe this. If you agree with maybe somebody can amen this tonight. Tithing is giving God my first and best so that He can bless the rest. Isn't that good? Isn't that right? Tithing is where I give God my first and best so that He can bless the rest. Sometimes people say, Keith, I'd like to do what you're talking about, but man, I just can't afford to do it. And I often say, you can't afford not to. And what I mean by that, do you really want God's blessing in your life? Do you really want God to bless your finances? You can't expect God to bless your disobedience. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth. So here's an important principle, not just for tithing, not just for money. It's an important principle for every area of your life. And here's the principle. Whatever you want God to bless in your life, put Him first in. I want you to think through this with me. Whatever you want God to bless in your life, you put Him first in that. If you've got a girlfriend or boyfriend and and you want God to bless that, that relationship, put God first in that relationship. If you want God to bless your business, put Him first in your business. If you want God to bless your home, put Him first in your home. If you want God to bless your career, put Him first in your career. God blesses what you put Him first in. So if you want God's help and God's blessing in your finances, put Him first in your finances because God can't bless your disobedience. I hope that makes sense. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to give. I'm saying it's much easier to live on the 90% in the will of God than it is 100% out of the will of God. Which brings us to the third lesson, which is this. Tithing is a statement of faith. This is kind of a summary of what we've talked about tonight. Let's look at the text again. Watch what God says here. God says, I need to go back to Malachi. I was in Deuteronomy. Malachi chapter 3. He says, verse 9, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. In other words, they didn't understand that the difficulties that they were going through was related to how they were handling their finances. They didn't connect the dots to see, hey, the problems that we're having in our finances is because we're not honoring the Lord. They they didn't connect the dots at all. So God says in verse 9, God says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Verse 10, watch what he says, bring the whole tithe. It's interesting, it's interesting God said the whole tithe, and maybe God just knows our, our nature that we'll say, okay, well, I'll bring some. I'll give something. God said, no, no, no. Bring 
the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house because that's the way that God provided for the, for the work of the ministry. It's the way he provided for the Levites and the priests. So, so it says, bring the tithe, your produce, so there'll be food in my house. But then these words, these are, this is the only place you'll find these words in the Bible. God says, test me in this. God never said that anywhere else in the Bible. Test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. God is saying let's have a little giving contest. You give to me and I'll give to you. And let's see who wins. You give to me and I'll give to you. And let's see who's more generous. Test me. You might want to underline that. Because again it's the only place in the Bible. Where God said it. And he said it in relation to finances. God is basically saying, I dare you. I dare you to trust me. Test me in this. I double dog dare you, East Tennessee language. I double dog dare you to trust me. And put me first. I'll bring it to a close with this statement. I really have found over the years that God takes care of His people. God takes care of His people. And we either believe that, or we don't. And so I want to I read a verse for you, or, or a verse to you rather, in Psalm 37, verse 25. This will be the last thing we read. Psalm 37, verse 25. <clears throat> I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I began the study tonight telling you the story of my mom and dad and their tithing uh, encounter with, with the Lord and learning about God's faithfulness. That was one of the verses that my dad used to quote. Now that I'm 61, it means even more to me. I was young, and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, their children begging for bread. God takes care of His people. Now, we either believe that or we don't. I'm not saying that God's going to meet every want that you have. You can trust God to meet every need. We pray with you. Father, help us to live in such a way, whether it's in our finances or any other area of our life, help us to live in such a way that you're first. You're at the top of the list. You're first in our relationships. You're first in our finances. You're first in the way we do our business. You're first in our home. Help us to live in such a way that you're first. May we live out that obedience in every area of our lives. I thank you that you are unchangeable. That you are consistent. 
And the same God that they relied on in the Old Testament and the same God who did miracles in the New Testament is the same God we follow today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Appreciate it.